So the way I see 10 years from now is that I'm going to sleep to earn, wake up, eat, earn some points there, commute, earn from there maybe, and then I can play a game, I can write a book, I can contribute to a community, and I'm earning different kinds of ownership from there. And that is like my portfolio. Happy Tuesday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. I'm your host, Packy McCormick. And the point of Not Boring Founders is to talk to people who are building the future. Sometimes we get really tactical and in the weeds about just how you build the future. And sometimes we get a little bit more philosophical about what it means when you do. Today, I think was a little bit of both, but particularly uh, one of my favorite conversations on the philosophical side. I talked to Gabby Dyson, the CEO and co-founder of Yield Guild Games. On its website, it says Yield Guild Games is a play-to-earn gaming guild bringing players together to earn via blockchain-based economies. We are the settlers of new worlds in the metaverse. Even since the last time I talked to Gabby, that definition has evolved a little bit. YGG is becoming the infrastructure for X to earn DAO. So we've talked about Axie Infinity in the newsletter. That's play-to-earn. But there are all sorts of new apps like Stepin that does move to earn or rewards you for walking and running and things like rabbit hole that do learn to earn or reward you for learning and jumping in and participating in crypto projects. And Gabby believes, and I agree with him, that the X to earn movement is just getting started, that crypto will enable all sorts of new career opportunities for people, new ways to earn and not just earn a salary, but importantly, to earn ownership in the things that they do and care about. We covered a little bit of how Yield Guild is helping to make that happen, but we also talked about what it means if it does happen and how the world needs to bend to accommodate the change. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Before we get to that conversation, though, ladies and gentlemen, that is right. It is the presenting sponsor of all of season two of Not Boring Founders, FTXUS. So if you watch F1, you've seen FTX. If you are watching my Philadelphia 76ers play the Miami Heat, you're watching the Miami Heat play in FTX Arena down in Miami. They even sponsor on again, off again, Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, Tom Brady. The company is only three years old, but this past year, FTX International raised money at a $32 billion valuation and FTX US just raised $400 million at its own $8 billion valuation. Its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, is the richest 29-year-old in the world with an estimated net worth of about $22 billion. We're here today, though, to talk about the FTX app, which was born out of the company's acquisition of Blockfolio and is the most complete crypto app, which allows users to buy crypto and NFTs with no fees. You can use a crypto debit card, track your entire crypto portfolio, and get important news updates. It's an easy place to buy crypto like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana with zero fees in a matter of minutes. It's all of the power of the FTX trading platform for free in your pocket. But don't listen to me. Go try it for yourself. You can either click the link in the show notes below or go to your favorite app store and download the FTX app. And when you sign up, enter my code, not boring, all one word. And when you trade $10, you get a free coin. Go check it out. Get your free crypto and make sure to say thank you to FTX US for sponsoring conversations like this one with Gabby Dyson, the CEO and co-founder of Yield Guild. Gabby, thanks for joining me on Not Boring Founders. 
Hey, hey, Becky. It's good to finally be with you here. It's great to have you here finally. So normally I start with this question of what the world looks like in 10 years if you succeed. But I think in this case, you know, right before this, we were talking, you gave me a little bit of context on kind of just, you know, the, the evolution of what YGG does. So I think actually the best place to start is, could you tell us what YGG has done to date and then where you're heading sure. in the future? And then we can jump back into that uh, first question. Great. Um, so we call YGG or Yield Guild Games a play to earn gaming guilds. We are a community of players who play these different play to earn games like Axie Infinity, League of Kingdoms, Splinterlands, and many other games, bringing these communities together that are using NFT assets that have some kind of earning capacity in them, and then distributing the rewards that are earned in these games, whether it's tokens or NFTs, back to the community. So that's it from a very, I would say, basic level, but we are enabling anyone from around the world to get access to the global crypto economy by by having these assets and sharing them with players. Because usually to, to participate in the Web3 economy, you have to buy into an asset, right? Whether it's a token yep. or, uh, or an NFT. And we want people to be able to participate in the global Web3 economy via participation and their time and skill instead of having money at the start. And we think this is kind of the most inclusive way to bring the rest of the world into crypto and three. Can you give us a sense of the scale of that business today and whatever metrics you track most closely? We started YDG in October 2020 on top of the Axie economy. Um, and to date, so there are over a 30,000 scholars. So scholars are the people who are borrowing assets from us to play games like Axie. Over 100K in the main YDG community. And now we've started sub-communities or sub-DAOs that are Think about them as localized versions of YGG in Southeast Asia. So Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam, IndieGG, which is our sub-DAO in India, partnership with the Polygon guys. Ola, which is for Latin America. We invested in Baze, which is the best guild in Brazil. And we're still creating partnerships for sub-DAOs in different parts of the world. And why do you separate them by geography? What's the advantage of doing that? Yeah, that's that's really great. And I think it goes to a more philosophical dis uh, discussion on how do you scale community, right? Because what we're doing is that we're scaling community. We're not a company. We're not a company like Google that has 100,000 people that are like doing whatever the the founders to the executives to the teams think they should do. We're communities that decide what games to play, what activities to engage in. And it's really hard to scale community because no one wants to be part of a community of 100,000 people. I want to be in a raid of 30 people that is basically defeating the boss next week. And so you have to break up communities into sub-communities, sub-sub-communities. So the only way I've found to grow community at scale is to create sub-DAOs, sub-networks, sub-guilds that manage guilds down to the smallest atomic level that people have a sense of ownership and care about what they're doing. So I think that the sub-DAO concept is something that will really allow crypto communities and DAOs to scale. And what's the relationship then between and among the sub-DAOs? Are they competing with each other? Do they share tips or are, mm -hmm. do they kind of behave like separate entities? They are new entities that are, I would say, kind of uh, forked from the original YGG community. 
each time we do a subdao, for example, in India, we work with someone who's very strong locally and knows the kind of the facts on the ground. So the Polygon team is our partner for IndieGG. They really know the Indian crypto community and we know how to run the guild. So we kind of merged that um, into the subdao. And then it, while taking kind of how to run a guild from us, it starts become very localized in like, how do we bring guilds to different provinces, cities, towns in the Indian ecosystem? That's going to be very different from how you're doing it in Indonesia and Philippines and the US for that matter. And it gets to make its own localized decisions or what to buy as well. Can you walk me through a day in the life of a, a scholar? So kind of what they were doing sure. before, how they found YGG, and then what their day looks like, how much they're making, all of that. Yeah. So YGG Scholar is probably someone who is somewhat new to uh, Web3. They've heard about games like Axie or Splinterlands and want to have access to earning capacity. So they might be a student or at work doing this as supplementary or even primary income. And they get recruited by a community manager. A community manager or a scholarship manager is are people who are part of our community that have proven that they know how to develop communities. And they are the ones that get access to YGG's assets. So YGG doesn't handle the scholars directly on its own. It recruits and trains community managers who then recruits the scholars. So that's how it works. And we have what is basically a distribution network of community managers that are recruiting and training people to be part of their own sub guilds using the assets of YGG. I, think of it think, as a like Tupperware distribution network, but with NFTs. <laughs> I love it. It's a, what's <laughs> YGG becoming? It sounds like you're evolving it to kind of widen the scope uh, of what you're doing at Yield Guild Games. Yeah, definitely. So now we have a lot of people who are coming in and playing games, but it's not just games that you want to do in the web three or broadly the metaverse, right? There are people who want to use different forms of creativity to have their own contribution, right? So it can be someone who is, for example, community moderator. It can be someone who's an artist making NFTs. It can be someone who's into lore. So we're realizing that like what we're doing in play to earn can be more generalized into what we call X to earn or contribution in exchange for ownership, which I think is the central idea that apart from playing, play is great because there are 2 billion gamers around the world that you can onboard into Web3 very easily and then kind of have them learn crypto on the back end. But now how do you target the, the rest of the class of creators, contributors that have something to, to bring into Web3? People like yourself, for example, with your writing, and have them also own a meaningful stake in whatever they're, they're creating in Web3. How do you think about, you know, going after those 2 billion gamers out there versus going into the other people? Is it just that, you know, the family members of the gamers are asking to get involved but are not gamers? Or like, what was the impetus? And then how do you decide where to focus your attention? The first expansion that we did was into these geographical stuff now. So now there's... YG Southeast Asia, India, Latam, there's going to be more YGGs around the world. Where we're heading into is that we're starting to collaborate with what we call work DAOs or DAOs that are doing X to earn. And when we say X to earn, it's like learn to earn, create to earn, move to earn. And we've had some 
very interesting examples of these DAOs that are coming up that are not using games, but are actually using gamified mechanics to turn different forms of uh, creative work into DAO mechanics. Um, and yeah, and I think this is kind of the natural evolution of where Web3 is going in the kind of contribute for ownership kind of economy. Can you walk us through maybe an example uh, without going into specifics? I know it's very early, but maybe like what a partnership like this might look like with an existing brand that has a community that, that's super engaged. For example, I think let's take Move to Earn because Stepan is something that's become really popular and we invested into uh, something called GenoBets, which is also a Move to Earn application. Like there are people who really love to move and uh, people who love to run and do different kinds of physical exercise. And you can create tokenomics around this so that there is an ecosystem where there are assets that are being bought that contribute to kind of an economy and then people who are doing contribution by doing the thing that you want to incentivize. Maybe it's running, maybe in a type of like Pokemon Go, like it's, you know, moving somewhere and doing like battling other, other players. So it's using these game mechanics that you have in later in games like Axie Infinity and yeah, just transposing that into other types of networks. The move to Aaron thing is so fascinating to me. I've downloaded Stepin. I have not bought my, or I think I just bought my Jagger the other day. It didn't, it didn't hit my nice. app, but I, I couldn't find an activation code. <laughs> no, you couldn't find an activation. If, yeah, if, if you can't find one, there's no, no help for any of us, but I think we could probably get you hooked up with one. If anybody's listening, please send Gabby an activation code. But the, the question that I have, and maybe you have a better understanding for this is kind of like how the economics of the whole thing work. Like who ultimately will be providing the capital? Is this going to be sold to insurance companies? Like where will the money come from so that this is a sustainable economy? Bingo. And that is kind of the crux of any external economy is very simply who pays for it, right? So if yes. you look at Move to Earn, what you said where like will insurance pay for it, I think that's actually probably one of the best long-term uh, solutions for external money coming into the ecosystem. In Plater and for example, this is being solved by merging the Plater and economy with esports. Uh, esports is really good at aggregating eyeballs and getting sponsorships. Their problem was that the value of whatever they were creating would always go to the Web2 games like League of Legends, for example. In Web3, you had ownership over your assets, but if people are fighting over the same pool of money, then it becomes kind of PVP or zero sum real quick. So you need to find an external source of money that it actually finds whatever work is being done valuable. In Move to Earn, one of the ideas he said was that, oh, insurance could pay for it. I think that's actually a great idea because if you incentivize people properly, I think people have shown that they will do anything. And with Move to Earn, people are running, getting fitter, earning tokens from it. And apart from the kind of NFT ecosystem from purchasing and all of that coming from it, if you can actually have insurance providers pay to get people to incentivize and yeah, lower the cost of hospitalization, I think that's great. And with that mindset, you can take that to any form of community that is productive work and apply the same frameworks of tokenomics, NFT ecosystem, who's going to pay, end up paying for the value that accrues to the treasury. And that's what Xterin is. It's so interesting. You'd imagine that maybe if governments, and I'd love to hear if there are governments in the world that you think are doing this well and that are engaging, 
but it does feel like a kind of way to incentivize behaviors in just the general populations of countries that governments might mm -hmm. want to incentivize. So working out is obviously one very good example, but I'm sure there are things like planting trees or doing community service or kind of doing all these pro-social things. Like, are there any governments that are starting to engage in extra earn to uh, incentivize their their citizens to, to do some of these pro-social things? I I don't know of any direct uh, examples of that, but you touch on a really good point of government incentivizing citizens. So I think that over time, this is where UBI is going to be heading. UBI has always been this concept that you would provide citizens with kind of a minimum staple that people can use so that they can live and do whatever they want, right? The And that's great. Like there's been a ton of research in UBI and in smaller scale experiments, it's proven to be successful. What's missing from UBI is that you're not giving people the dignity of work or the satisfaction of having produced something by themselves. And if you actually marry that, we kind of an external incentivization me mechanic with whatever the government or anybody wants to incentivize, that can be something that would be very powerful. Yeah, my favorite example of this is always, uh, this image sticks in my head of the Kurt Vonnegut book, Player Piano, where they just have the citizens, it's in the future, machines can kind of do everything. And so you need to figure out what to do mm -hmm. with the populace. And so they have people just digging holes and then filling them back in, which is super <laughs> yeah. Sisyphusian. But in the 50s, Vonnegut couldn't have predicted something like something like Web3 and, and the granular targeting incentivization that you're able to do. And so it does feel like you'll be able to find this intersection of things that the community yep. needs that people find meaningful and that people actually like enjoy doing and are personally good at. And so that, that does feel really powerful if you can get that right. And that somebody's willing to pay for, right? Whoever that somebody is, whether it's government, whether it's a corporation, one of our advisors, Gabe Layden, one of the smartest person in games. Like he was talking about like AI researchers have always wondered about, like they're afraid that once the machines come and take over, like what are people going to do? right? Are they going to start wars or are they just going to lay idle? But the answer is people are going to do whatever they're incentivized to do. And a lot of them are probably going to be living in the metaverse and the web three, forming kind of self-selecting communities that are incentivized to do things that they want or according to the, whatever their uh, passions are, right? How did you get into this in the first place? It feels like, you know, crypto goes into the, goes in these waves. And just the general sentiment that I'm getting right now is, you know, people were mad at the Yuga Labs land sale, the other other side land sale. Mm -hmm. Solana went down this weekend. It feels like we're in a, almost like an angsty period of crypto, but you have this long-term <laughs> kind of view and goal. So like, when did you get into it? And what is your North Star? How do you stay optimistic and above the noise? Right. So a little bit of history. So I've been in game development since 2003. It was one of the teams that made the first ever game to come out of the Philippines. Uh, and fast forward to 2014, I co-founded the mobile game studio called Apogee Games. So I've been around the game design development for a very long time. Um, got into crypto in 2017 when we heard about this magical thing called Ethereum and the concept was smart contracts. The way it was positioned in my head then was that this is programmable money. Right. And that was a very interesting concept, programmable money that was immutable. Right. And we were taking a look at that to see how it could one day disrupt the game industry. 
And while we were researching that, CryptoKitties came out November 2017, broke down the Ethereum network, rest is yep. history, right? And that was the kind of holy shit moment for me. Like, oh my God, like NFTs are basically like digital property that acted like it had the characteristics of physical property. Like you could yes. own it, you could use it in different ways. You could give it to someone, you could sell it, whatever. So it it's like, you know, I had a baseball and I could play it in a baseball game. I could hit a person with it. I could display it. I could sell it <laughs> to somebody. Like that's what an NFT was. So I got the concept immediately and really just started getting deep into NFTs. And then the kind of bear market from 2018 to 20 happened. So those were actually really hard years to be optimistic about NFTs. Like there were, you know, no seed rounds for NFT based games. A lot of projects came in and died and, you know, we were having fun. I discovered Axie actually in 2018 when it had less than 500 players. And I was having fun playing a very simple version of the game, breeding and have like just creating with the community. Um, and while this was happening and I guess the whole kind of web three movement was coalescing into what you see now, I realized that the, the skills that we have as game designers, incentivizing people, getting them to kind of reach goals, um, get together and form outcomes. These are things that you can incentivize the greater population using blockchain, tokens, NFTs as your coordination layers. And that was actually a superpower that game designers have had for decades. And now you can use it basically to work with gener the general population. I wrote an article a while back called The Great Online Game. And part of it was about how life is becoming yes. more of a video game and crypto is a part of that. And I, I, I am not a game designer, so I didn't even think that deeply about that idea, but it's so true. Like you're adding this just incentive layer on the world. And I guess the world has that, right? Like there's money, there are jobs, there are those, yep. but it's not as granular. It's not as frictionless. And so it doesn't feel game-like. And so what is, what does the world, and maybe this is where I ask you kind of like what the world looks like in a, in a decade, if you're wildly successful, like as people get better at baking this into the real world, like what does everything look like? 10 years from now, nine to five is that the concept of employment as we know it, working for one company, two, five, 10 years at time is a dead. Like if people can still work most of their days in one project, but people will choose how they spend their days, what they're contributing to, and everything will be results-based because you now have the opportunity to give your time and effort and skill towards a portfolio of different things and earn ownership with them. And ownership is kind of a very charged word. Like people buy a token and feel like they can boss around developers or whatever. Um, I think ownership is really like being part of the community that that token or NFT would represent, being able to like contribute to that community and share in either the gains or the losses that would come in it. So I, I think that's what ownership is. Like, it's not just being able to own a token because I played a game. It's actually being immerse yourself as an owner and make yourself responsible for the outcomes of whatever you're doing. So the way I see 10 years from now is that I'm going to sleep to earn, wake up, eat, earn some points there, commute, earn from there maybe, 
and then I can play a game, I can write a book, I can contribute to a community, and I'm earning different kinds of ownership from there. And that is like my portfolio, right? What needs to change between now and then for that vision to come through? Because I feel like it, it almost feels like we're just riding the very classic hype cycle where it was like, oh yeah, everything's going to yeah. be a DAO. And then people started running DAOs and they're like, oh, well, this is way harder than we thought. And it's actually hard to get contributions from people and X, Y, and Z. So what needs to change between now and a decade from now? Or what does humanity need to get really good at for that to happen? That's, that's a great question. If, if you look at the basic structure that we're in today, it's actually mostly unchanged from the industrial revolution. The industrial revolution incentivized people to get them under one building and with managers basically telling people what to do and people get paid for it. And we've carried that all the way to the internet age, even with Facebook and Apple and Google with their fancy offices, it's still the same structure. And COVID actually broke this wide open because now with COVID, people realize that, oh, I didn't need to be in that fancy office after all to get paid, to have my contribution. Like I can work remotely wherever I want in the world. And what DAOs and tokens gives you is basically ownership of whatever that is you're creating. So that's been a major step. Of course, things are harder than it looks. So DAOs won't automatically replace companies in just a few years. But as people realize that basically I'm not tied to, you know, being an hour's commute from, from Mountain View, I can actually be anywhere in the world, contribute to what I want and find what it is that I am good at, that people are willing to pay for, that I just don't get an hourly rate. I actually get some ownership and upside out of it. Like once more and more people do that, I think there's just going to be a capitulation and people say like, why Why the hell am I clocking in, putting my, yeah. my badge in the scanner at 9am every day? It just doesn't make sense. Then they sit down in the office and they're having Zoom calls all day. And they're like, why <laughs> am I here? It don't, it's like the bad 2D version of the metaverse right now, where you're just sitting, I mean, we're, you know, we're on a <laughs> yeah. 2D screen yeah. right now talking and people are like, oh no, the metaverse is going to be crazy. People are going to spend all the time in digital worlds. It's like, no, 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 we already do that in like much shittier digital worlds. Like they'll just be better yeah. or we will choose not to do them. Now it's actually world. worse because we're in the proto metaverse, but we actually still have to commute to an office most of the time. But like, for example, your job back is what I consider to be like, you know, one of the great metaverse jobs, like you do what you want, you can write, but you're also investing, which means that you get to have ownership of the, the, the stuff that you're building. And I think that's just a great model for what the future will be like for, for everyone. Everyone will be an investor, whether you're using your time or your words or your playing ability or your money. Hey, Matt, I mean, I think it is such an important thing. I wrote a piece a couple months ago at this point called Ownership in the American Dream. And really the idea was like, it, no matter how much you earn per hour in like an hourly rate, if you don't have that mm -hmm. ownership upside, you're just going to get lapped by the people who do. And, and like that just gets worse Absolutely. and worse and worse and worse over time. So we need to encourage ownership in the U.S. We're talking, you're in the Philippines right now. What do you think kind of giving everybody ownership does to closing the gap globally? Like how, do, how does that all evolve? Because I think that's fascinating that, you know, it's a global pool of talent all drawing from the same kind of pool of capital. Absolutely. So one of the largest industries here in the Philippines is technology outsourcing, where you have the back offices with large companies like 
Ork and Goldman Sachs to even like companies like Safeway to a lot of the call centers that are not prestige jobs in the US. They are still prestige jobs here, but at the end of the day, even though outsourcing is a great business in the Philippines, provides for millions of jobs and a pretty good share of GDP, you're still being paid less to do what someone in another country get paid more to do, right? So you're like, there's still that differential in value. And what I love about Web3 is that it asks you to show up and contribute and you get the ownership, which means the risk of downside, but also the upside if it works out, which means that I'm no longer being judged on what country I'm from to determine what base rate I'm being paid. I'm here, I show up, I contribute, and if it goes well, I get the benefit of it. I, I obviously am, am in love with what you know this vision represents and all of the upsides of it. It does feel like structures, like the way the world is built, do need to change in pretty meaningful ways, right? Like mm-hmm. this sounds amazing depending on where you're sitting, but I'm calling in from you know Brooklyn, New York right now. And so if I'm making the same as someone who lives in a place with a cost of living that's like 10% as much, it feels very yep. fair on the earning side, but like I'm not going to be able to pay for an apartment or like a meal <laughs> here. Like how does the world have to adjust for that to, to work? And I don't even expect you to have the answer, but like what are all the second and third order things that you think need to happen for, for this to all play out? That's, that's a great question. And if you look at, for example, the Axie community, the people who are Axie scholars tend to come more from developing countries, whether it's Philippines, Indonesia, Venezuela, wherever. We don't get Axie scholars in Brooklyn, for example, where you are, right? Because it, like, it's just not viable. But yeah. we have people who are in the Axie ecosystem in places like Brooklyn, Puerto Rico, and Miami, and New York, and they're doing different things. Some of them are content creators. Some of them are maybe asset investors or they own scholarship programs that they lend out to people. So I think invariably there are going to be different roles that work for you depending on where you live, what you're good at, what what people are willing to get paid for. And there will be just different jobs in the metaverse that can suit those roles. It's all head spinning. Like it's it's cool that kind of society <laughs> does just figure this stuff out over time too. And like the market just moves in line with the opportunities and as things change. But I think this is going to be one of those just like dramatically big shifts that right now the Chris sticks in line that the next big thing starts out looking like a toy. I think very, very much applies here. But over the next, you know, you wake up in a decade in 2032 and I think things have changed pretty, pretty dramatically. Where can people start to learn about X to earn, about YGG, start to get involved. What would you tell somebody who's listening to this works maybe probably in tech in the US? Like where should they go to learn more? Well, to your first point, I think DAOs are at the stage where like it's still being laughed at, probably even by the greater tech industry. And honestly, there's probably a lot to laugh at. But like we're still <laughs> yeah. very like imma- immature where we are. There's lots of var- like very, very good attempts to kind of you know, like, let's put up a DAO to create IP, to buy a golf course, to do this kind of work, to do that kind of work. Um, but I see that as just a natural experimentation order of things. And eventually people will see things that work and latch onto that. And those are the things that will grow and scale. You know, with what you said, where what, what Chris Dixon was saying, like everything that's really important sets up looking as a toy. 
I, I do think that DAOs are exactly in that stage right now. NFTs are there as well. People are still wondering, mind blown over why people are paying 150K for a JPEG, right? But as these take over and you realize that you have a way for coordinating people into online economies that are just hyper efficient and better just coordinating people into creating value than a corporate structure ever can, then we'll see more and more value being created this way. So that's for the first part of what you said. Secondly, how how do people learn? I wouldn't say there is kind of one place that exists right now. I think Not Boring is a great place to actually start exploring these things. Thank you. Um, yeah, we, we talk a lot about these styles at YDG, but the, the thing that I would say to people who want to learn more is dive in, just find a community that you care about to contribute to, whether it's contributing to a YDG subdial wherever you live in the world or being passionate and joining the community of a blockchain game. Or if you're not passionate about games, there's a lot of different DAOs that you can contribute to. I know, Paki, you were super interested in Constitution DAO and you contributed to yes. that. So yeah, I, th I think that there will be a DAO for everyone. Amen. A DAO for everyone. Gabby, thanks so much for, for joining me today. I've, I've been such a huge fan of what you're doing at YGG. I think this move into the broader X to earn ecosystem is going to be really impactful. And I do think that in a decade, what you'll have done to reshape the way that people find work and get to live their lives in a way that they you know, find, find more interesting is going to be really, really huge. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Becky.